Thanks for joining me today. I'm Todd Allen, and this is Insurrection, Episode 5, An Invitation to Save the World. This is an original audio fiction series written and performed by me. Don't miss the companion podcast on Wednesday, where Will, Carrie, and Lauren join me to delve into this week's episode. A lot of listeners say they enjoy the podcast as much as the story, which is it's fabulous. I couldn't ask for anything more, quite honestly. We're all in this together, and this story is just beginning. After last week's episode, First Echoes of War, I don't think Eli Crane needs any introduction. He is the commander of the world's largest paramilitary group, and last week he declared war on the globalist government controlling America. You can find us a few different ways. I'm most active on Twitter at Todd's World 2023. And also I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Todd's World 2023. Also on Truth Social at the Todd Allen Show. You can find clips of the show and share them with your friends. Check out my other weekly podcast at the Todd Allen Show and also look for weekly articles at Todd's World on Substack. We'd love to hear from our listeners, so feel free to reach out. I want to thank everyone joining us today. If you are listening to this episode, you have signed up as a subscriber and your support means everything to us. None of this happens without you. But please go one more step beyond that and share this show with your friends and family so we can all enjoy it together. Pick five more people and tell them about the show this week. We're in for a wild ride over the years to come, and I can't wait to take the trip with all of you. As I like to remind people, this is a work of fiction. All names, characters, businesses, places, and events... Even those based on real people or events are entirely fictional, the product of the author's wildly creative imagination. Any resemblance to actual persons living or dead is purely coincidental and fictional. And of course, we don't encourage or promote violence. Unless you are defending yourself from the violence of tyranny. Thanks again for joining me, guys. Here is the fifth episode of Insurrection. Episode 5, An Invitation to Save the World Light drizzle added a cold bite to the chilly late fall air, and every few minutes Jake Gunn wiped the moisture from his eyes with a damp glove. He had planned and looked forward to his hike that particular weekend for two weeks, and he resolved to not let anything shy of a drenching downpour ruin his weekend plans. 
He was dressed for the occasion, at least, with his dry-fit rain gear, and he was reasonably comfortable given the miserable weather. He had hiked four miles already that morning and had just taken refuge under a narrow trail shelter, enclosed on three sides with the open side facing a beautiful ravine. The hardwoods dropped away to the west, falling down the large glacial ravine toward the small river at the bottom. The sun rode high in the sky, though obscured by fog and drizzly gloom on this dreary day. Jake had just stripped off his rain gear and hung it up on two of the hooks lining the shelter's three walls. He was rummaging through his day pack when he heard the noise of another hiker on the trail and looked up to see an older man with a short gray beard materialize out of the forest. The man was tall, with broad shoulders and a long stride. He looked up at the shelter, smiled at Jake, and waved. Jake returned the smile and wave, and the man approached up the hill from the trail to the shelter. Mind if I join you? the stranger asked. Not at all, Jake replied, looking out at the drizzle now turning into a light rain. Not much company on the trail today. The man had gone over to the hooks and was stripping off his own rain gear. No, not exactly great weather for hiking. Then he turned back toward Jake, his eyes bright, still smiling. Unless you don't want much company. A frame of mind I find myself in more and more these days. The man offered Jake his hand, and Jake shook it. Elijah, he said by way of simple introduction. But to my friends, I'm Eli. Jake, Jake said, returning the smile. My friends call me Jake, I bet. Eli interrupted and then laughed. He had a big laugh, the kind of laugh that echoes across a sunny field, the kind of laugh that draws people in. Good to meet you on this fine day, Jake. Jake sat back down and pulled a bag of trail mix out of his day pack and began nibbling on nuts and M&Ms and dehydrated berries. He tried to avoid the raisins. He hated raisins. He'd always hated raisins little dried-out grape turds. He liked the M&Ms, though, and he wondered why he hadn't just bought a bag of M&Ms. Into this mental trail mix fog, Eli's voice spoke. Care for a beer? Eli held out a Coors Light silver bullet towards Jake. For some reason, whenever I've done three or four miles on a trail, all I want is a cold beer. Join me for a drink, Jake while we look out together over this beautiful ravine. So Jake did. Together, they sat looking out at the northern Michigan woods, resting their legs, allowing nature unfiltered to quiet their minds. And they talked about the trail, about themselves, and about the world at large. It wasn't long before the conversation turned to the recent acts of violence breaking out across the country, the kidnappings, the assassinations. The press had taken to calling it Bloody Wednesday. Only four days had passed, but it felt like a month. The destruction and abductions and killing had deepened the already divided country, with liberals in the blue states wailing and gnashing their teeth over the terrorist attacks 
on the heart of American governance, while the conservatives in flyover country still mourning the loss of their champion, both openly and secretly cheered the fight finally being taken to their enemies. I don't understand what these people hope to accomplish with the violence, Jake had just said. Eli had turned to look at him. It seems to me they must believe there's no other way. Why else would they risk their lives and families? Surely they know what awaits those who get caught. January 6th should have taught them that lesson, he said. They're terrorists, Jake replied, stating what he felt to be a simple fact. Perhaps, Jake, Eli answered, nodding. Perhaps they are terrorists when it comes right down to the brass tacks. He paused for a moment, studying the younger man next to him, then spoke again. But who exactly are they terrorizing? Jake looked at him sideways. Everyone in society. Every parent who sends their kids off to school or who shops at the grocery store, afraid a bomb might go off at any second. But there haven't been any bombings at grocery stores or schools or churches. Have there even been any civilians killed? Eli asked. Jake paused. He was about to say, of course there have been civilians killed. But the words stuck in his throat. Something about the statement felt wrong. Eli noted the pause and continued. I mean, obviously, in the strictest definition of the word, meaning anyone who isn't a soldier or part of a police force, only civilians have been killed. But think about the targets of the bombs and killings, of the kidnappings. Johnny Tyler, a tech billionaire responsible for mass censorship of the American right. Was he an innocent civilian? No different than a nine-year-old girl shopping at the mall with her mother? The federal prosecutors and judges who perverted justice and destroyed innocent Americans' lives with their January 6th show trials. And what right-thinking American didn't feel a sense of justice watching Jackie Parisi swing from the end of a rope in one of her palatial homes she got by looting the American public for 30-some years? This time the older man paused, letting it sink in, watching Jake's eyes as the first light of a new understanding began to dawn. Eli smiled again, but this time there was more behind his smile than typical rural American friendliness and good cheer. Then he suddenly stood and stretched. He turned his attention outside again. Let's continue this conversation on the trail, Jake. I'm enjoying it, but the day is getting on, and I have miles to go before I sleep, Eli said as he went to the hooks holding his rain gear and began to dress again for the wet weather. Robert Frost, Jake said. It appears Mr. Ringo's an educated man, the older man said with a wink. Jake rose to his feet after his new acquaintance, moving as if in a trance. Maybe he was, looking back. Eli's words had jarred Jake. Fear rose as Jake looked just for a moment down the path his words led. It was a road of thinking uncomfortable in every way. They walked together on the trail for a while in silence. 
each immersed in their own thoughts and worries. You've put some time and thought into all of this, Jake said finally, breaking the silence, his spidey senses pinging. Eli walked just ahead of him on the trail. More than you know, he said without turning, then a weary sigh. Much more than you could ever know. His otherwise sunny disposition retreated a few steps. Silence descended over the woods again, and they let the quiet encompass them for a time, listening to the sound of their own footfalls mixed with the noise of the damp forest. Eventually, as the trail wound along the edge of a low-lying cedar swamp, Jake came to the central question he had been circling in his mind as they walked. Do you support the escalating violence then, Eli? The tall, broad-shouldered man Jake had only just met, but who was now clearly leading him on a hike through the forest, stopped and turned toward him. Eli looked at Jake hard. His eyes were a bright sky blue, and Jake felt those eyes peer into him and search him. Eli's eyes were both kind and hard. Jake couldn't have guessed, not then, at the beginning, how hard and cold the steel behind those eyes would prove to be. But then his eyes softened, and he turned and looked around at the forest. Eli pointed northwest to a hill. Up that hill, there's a clearing. Beautiful view. We'll talk there, he said. They lowered their eyes to the trail in front of them and headed for the hill. Thirty minutes later, they crested the large barren hilltop, and the entire valley spread out below them, shrouded in misty fog. Beyond the valley, the hills rose again, and beyond the hills, Jake could just see the blue of Lake Michigan in the distance. Large white pine stumps littered the western edge of the hillside, while most of the rest of the hilltop was smooth rock with only a thin layer of soil and short grass. Eli sat down on one and motioned for Jake to join him on an adjacent stump. This wasn't just a chance meeting on the trail, Jake said, acknowledging the obvious. Eli looked at him for a few moments those bright, steely eyes searching again. Then his gaze softened and he smiled once more. Guilty as charged. Jake Gunn, podcaster, part-time journalist and writer. You're a talented guy, Jake. I've been following your work for some time. I suppose I'm something of a fan. Why the subterfuge? And how did you know I'd be hiking this trail today? Have you been following me? The questions came out rapid fire. Not in the way you're imagining, Eli said. He turned his eyes to look out over the valley before he continued speaking. The world is changing, Jake. It's already changed. Most people just don't realize it yet. You've heard of confirmation bias? Jake nodded. The tendency to search for interpret and remember information in such a way as to confirm your own prior beliefs. Yes, exactly. That's how most people live. They tend to see everything through the lens of their own experiences and expectations. The governments and corporations of the world understand this tendency, and they play to it. 
They arrange and alter information to suit the tastes and preferences of their subjects. That's always been the case to some extent, but the advent of social media and rapidly developing technology has radically improved their ability to gather, define, target, and weaponize information in ways previously unimaginable. The result has been a seismic shift in the power dynamic and imbalance between governments and the governed. That makes sense, Jake said. I've known or at least suspected that for a while. We've talked about it on the show many times. We saw that dynamic at work with Trump and COVID and the stolen elections of 2020. There hasn't been a free and fair election in this country since the 90s, Eli said, shaking his head. Maybe the 80s. But it was the advent of the computer and technology age that really pulled the brakes off the whole ride. Internet, smartphones, and social media changed everything. And they still are. The battlefield is changing faster and faster all the time. Technology is evolving and improving faster than the organic human mind can evolve and adapt to the changes. Eli paused to let that sink in for a moment. The outline of the world he was painting was familiar to Jake. Jake's eyes had begun opening to the true state of the government and country with the ascension of Donald Trump to the presidency and the ensuing unbridled rage and attacks unleashed on him by nearly all of government and the elite educated classes. But though Jake had some understanding of the basic contours of the territory, he had no idea how deep and wide and systemic the rot and corruption had spread. Sitting there in the misting rain on that old white pine stump, Jake still retained more blissful ignorance than he realized. That was all about to change. He was standing on the cliff's edge. The image of the world and country he thought he knew would soon be ripped out from underneath him. If he thought he was prepared, he wasn't. But improving technology in a changing modern world doesn't justify a descent into some modern fusion of tribal warfare and domestic terrorism, a nonstop cycle of political and social violence, Jake said finally. No, of course not. You're a fan of the late Rush Limbaugh, Eli asked. Rush was one of the biggest influences on my thinking. I loved Rush. I miss his insight every day from noon to three, Jake answered. Eli smiled at the thought of Rush. Rush did more to hold the darkness at bay than any of us realized or understood at the time. But one of his undeniable truths of life was, ours is a world governed by the aggressive use of force. That's another way of saying the world is governed by violence, Jake. The founders insisted on the Second Amendment to the Constitution the right of the citizens to keep and bear arms precisely because they understood that principle. They understood that governments rule and maintain order through the threat of violence. Even if it's focused and directed violence, 
enacted under the authority of a criminal justice system. They also understood only one thing could prevent a government from descending into eventual tyranny, the threat of a violent uprising from its own citizens. Even in the Middle Ages, the despot ruler's greatest fear was the people storming his castle with torches and pitchforks. His logic was clear and simple. That makes sense, Jake said. But in this day and age, with our massive modern military utilizing unmanned drones and nuclear weapons and artificial intelligence, are the American people, armed with 12-gauge shotguns or even AR-15s, still a credible threat to government tyranny anymore? Eli peeled a piece of bark off the stump and threw it over the side of the hill. Then he rooted around in his day pack and brought out two more beers. These are heavy topics and questions to tackle without the assistance of beer, he said, handing Jake one. You know what I mean? Jake asked, as he popped the can top and watched the beer foam out of the opening. It seems to me the government no longer has much reason to fear violence from its citizens. And largely, the regime in Washington acts like it has nothing to fear from the American people. I don't disagree, Jake. Our bloated government certainly acts as if it answers to no one but itself in the form of its own bureaucracy. But that's as much blind hubris as anything. Eli pulled a phone out of his day pack and checked it. He opened it and pecked at the screen for a minute, then put it back in his day pack. Sorry, had to answer a quick text, he said. I'm surprised you have cell service out here. Good enough to text anyway, he replied. Then he went back to Jake's question. The U.S. military is still, even with the rise of China, the greatest military superpower the world has ever known. But it's not what it once was. With all the focus on experimental vaccine mandates and trans bathrooms, systemic whiteness and pregnancy flight suits, we are weaker than we have been in decades, if still formidable. But this country is huge, Jake. The sheer size of the landmass and the population dwarf the military's capabilities. That's assuming more than half the boots on the ground would obey orders to fire on U.S. citizens. And I don't think half would. You think soldiers would mutiny if the government tried to deploy them on our own soil? Jake asked. Yes, eventually, Eli answered. Our soldiers, just like our police forces, take an oath to the Constitution first and foremost. And many understand that oath and take it seriously. So the regime would try to muddy the waters, call the operations anti-domestic terrorism. And they might enjoy some success with that for a while. But it won't take long for the boots on the ground to see through their smokescreen. That's one challenge the government faces trying to utilize the military to put down any sort of real insurrection. The other is simply logistics. The military is set up to project power, but they are very ill-suited to fighting a widespread uprising on American soil. In the kind of insurrection I'm referencing, 
the insurrectionists would probably be comprised of small, very loosely organized paramilitary groups engaged in primarily guerrilla-type warfare, utilizing small targeted strikes. Sure, the military has drones and Hellfire missiles, but what are they going to target? Malls? Supermarkets? Oil refineries? Trains? Bridges? They're only shooting themselves in the foot, and the hand, and the shoulder by doing that. The government's targets are hidden needles in the biggest haystack ever imagined, while targets for the insurrectionist attacks are literally everywhere and largely unprotected. Jake stared out over the glacial valley as his new friend spoke, taking in what he was saying. He had never thought of it in those terms. But wouldn't that type of war be impossible to win? For the insurrectionists particularly. How do you overthrow a massive federal government with a thousand small cuts? At some point, don't you have to actually take over the Capitol or the White House or depose the president? We saw how they turned Washington, D.C. into a veritable fortress after the 2020 election and the storming of the Capitol. How could a bunch of small, barely organized paramilitary groups hope to win any real consequential battles? Eli was also looking out over the valley. He seemed to be scanning the sky looking for something. They couldn't, he said simply, not without a huge influx of foreign soldiers and weaponry, Russia or China getting involved, which won, It's hard to imagine a scenario in which either nation would ever take that kind of risk. Two, the cure would arguably be as bad or worse than the sickness at that point. The insurrectionists would have traded one master for another, and self-government of the people, by the people, and for the people will have disappeared off the face of the earth. Then, if an insurrection has no hope of success or winning, why fight at all? Eli held up a cautionary finger. I said we couldn't win in the kind of scenario you described. That doesn't mean we have no hope of winning. There is another way. What other way? Jake asked, turning to him again. Eli's steel eyes looked back at Jake. The regime could surrender. Jake laughed. Oh yeah, I forgot that option. The totalitarian American left regime which seeks only more and more unchecked power at every turn, might just decide to lay down its arms, throw up its hands, and march off into their waiting prison cells. I thought we were discussing plausible options. The cautionary finger again, along with another smile. Your scope of thinking is still too limited, my friend. You're thinking of this in purely military terms like we are two forces competing for a piece of dirt. Militaries are not the only thing holding the country together. Not even the main thing. In a country of this size, with all our different cities and states and regions, what holds the country together is the consent of the governed. Even if that consent is based on fear and lies and propaganda. Without it, The ties that bind the country would fray and come unwound in the span of a few short years. We aren't fighting to take Washington, D.C. or New York 
or Fort Bragg or a particular harbor or rail line. We are fighting for the hearts and minds of the American people. We are fighting to remind the American people they still hold the reins, even if it feels like they don't. Jake's eyes widened with comprehension. We? You're part of the group responsible for these violent attacks? His mind raced. This smiling, friendly man was the leader of some kind of domestic terror organization, and he had just revealed himself to Jake, which meant, yes, Jake, we. His eyes held Jake's gaze, and Jake understood that he had crossed over a bridge without realizing it. The hilltop on which they were sitting had turned dangerous. I need you, Jake. We need you. America needs you. You need to tell the American people the truth. Tell them the real story of the government and the goals of the insurrection. I need you to counter the regime's narrative being told every day across every platform by the government and state-controlled mainstream media. You need to build a team of communication experts across multiple platforms to take on the cabal's messaging, to frame the violence they see on their screens and give them context and truth. We have to win back their hearts and minds, Jake Gunn, podcaster, part-time journalist extraordinaire, and we can't do it without you. Jake rose to his feet from the stump seat and began pacing, winding figure eights through the nearby stumps, trying to wrap his head around what was happening. He raised his beer and finished the half remaining in one long swallow. Then he crushed the can with the heel of his boot and threw the crushed can over the side of the hill. I guess littering's the least of my problems now. Jake stood close to the edge now, looking down. Eli had risen himself and joined him. Jake felt like he was falling down the rabbit hole with Alice. Then he felt Eli's hand on his shoulder. I know it's a lot to take in, especially out of the blue like this. But given the nature of the deployment, there was no other way, you understand. Back to the violence. I know that's the toughest part to get by, especially on American soil risking innocent American lives. But violence encompasses far more than blowing up an empty corporate bank headquarters or kidnapping some federal judges and prosecutors, even killing a tech billionaire and a corrupt old government hag. What about unleashing a weaponized virus, then utilizing the fear and panic created by that bioweapon to lock Americans down, close their businesses, cripple small businesses, and do irreparable harm to everyday Americans' mental and physical health and financial futures? What about stealing everyday Americans' hope just to make them more dependent on a corrupt and bloated federal bureaucracy? What about stealing an election with the help of big corporate and big tech and nullifying the free and fair votes of more than half the electorate? What about using the entire American population as test monkeys for experimental vaccines known to be dangerous at best and deadly at worst? We didn't start this war, Jake. We didn't want this war. But they have brought the war to us. 
and by God, we will fight for freedom with everything we have to give. Jake stared out into the distance. You've opened Pandora's box, he said finally. You can try to target your strikes and limit collateral damage, but the collateral damage will happen. And the first time one of your targeted strikes blows up a four-year-old girl or an innocent family, their pictures will be plastered all over mainstream and social media. And by the time the regime and state-controlled media are finished with you, you'll be no better than Al-Qaeda to the vast majority of America. The man who was Jake's connection to the underground insurrectionist group scanned the sky again. But he nodded. You're right, Jake. That's why we need you. Not to fix any of it. War is about killing people and destroying things. There's no fixing, only breaking. But I need you to fight the spin with truth. And perhaps a little spin of your own. But I'm not a famous author or broadcaster, Jake said. I might have a few thousand followers on my show. No best-selling books to my credit. Why would anyone listen to me? How can I make any impact on the narrative? The man next to him patted his shoulder like a father to a son. Leave that part to me, Jake. Leave that part to me. I have plans for you, Jake Gunn. By the time we're done, the entire country will know your name, for better and worse. In the distance, on the far side of the valley, Jake noticed something in the sky. Then the noise of a helicopter echoed across the valley. He turned to Eli, his new comrade, apparently. What's that? he asked. That, my friend, is our ride, Eli answered. Our ride? Jake repeated, looking back at the chopper growing in the distance. Eli turned to Jake and held out his hand. Will you join me, Jake? Will you join us? and help us take back our country? Still staring at the helicopter, getting bigger by the second as it approached, Jake sighed. There's only one answer to that question that gets me off this hilltop alive, isn't there? He asked. Now Eli turned his attention back to the chopper and waved both arms to the aircraft to get the pilot's attention. Some invitations only have one answer, Jake. That doesn't mean it's not an invitation. The pilot had spotted them, and the helicopter was directly overhead now, the wind from its blades whipping their rain gear. After a few minutes, the aircraft circled the largest part of the clearing on the hilltop and finally sat down. Eli turned to Jake one last time and held out his hand again. Can I give you a lift? he asked. Jake reached for his hand and shook it. I guess I'm in, Jake yelled over the noise of the chopper. Eli smiled again, and then he was laughing. Together they ran toward the helicopter and climbed inside. When they were in their seats and belted in with headsets on, Eli, still smiling, turned to Jake and nodded as he grabbed the hand loop above him. Let's go save the world, he said. Jake looked out over the misty valley once more and took a deep breath. Let's go overthrow the government, he replied, shaking his head at the absurdity of it all. With that, the helicopter lifted up and banked hard to the west and flew off into the gathering gloom. <laughs>